0: Our second Bible reading is John 15, verse 18, through chapter 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Before we look at that Bible passage, please join me in praying for God to be with us. Let's bow our heads. The writer of Psalm 119 says to God, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Father, please give us that same way of thinking about your word. Open our eyes to its riches. For Jesus' sake. Amen. It's been called Christianity in a nutshell. It's been called the golden text. It's been called the, the theme sentence of Scripture, the Bible in a single verse. If you've been a Christian for some time, you may be able to guess the verse I'm talking about. It's John three sixteen, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God has made a way for us to cross over from death to life. He did it by giving his only son, who came down from heaven to live the perfect life none of us could live, and to die the sacrificial death we needed him to die so that our sins could be forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Almost every word in that golden text is heavy with significance. But there's one word in it that is particularly relevant for the passage we're studying today. And that is the word world. In John 3.16 and in many other verses in John's gospel, the world has a special meaning. It means unbelieving humanity, humanity in opposition to God, spiritually hostile humanity. For example, in John chapter 7, Jesus says, The world hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. He's talking about unbelieving humanity. And that's the world God loved so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's the world god wanted to save in the very next verse after the golden text so john 3:17 jesus says for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him jesus wasn't sent to point a judgmental finger at hostile humanity. No, he was sent to save hostile humanity. But the tragic truth is that many people in this world don't want to be saved. A couple of verses later in that same chapter, John 3, Jesus says, Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The world's hostility to God continues, Jesus says, even when light comes down into the world to reveal the pathway of salvation. And yet through God's mercy, some people do believe. Which raises a question, how should believers interact with the unbelieving world? Those who do believe don't belong to hostile humanity anymore. We're back on good terms with God. We have eternal life, an eternal relationship with him. But we're not airlifted immediately into his presence. We're still here on planet Earth, surrounded by the unbelieving world. How should believers relate to the world? That's the question Jesus explores in our passage today. It's a sober passage. Musically speaking, it is in a minor key. This passage is filled with warnings for us. The rest of the sermon will be in two parts. First, Jesus and the world. Jesus and the world. And for this part of the sermon, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 25, the second paragraph there on page 11. Jesus begins by talking about the world's reaction to his words, his message. He says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus gives a a very honest assessment of the world's reaction to his message. We can tell from what he says in that verse, verse 22, that the world's reaction was generally unfavorable. It wasn't totally unfavorable. The 11 disciples with Jesus at this point in time show that Jesus' message wasn't rejected by absolutely everybody. And there are other examples in John's Gospel of people responding rightly to Jesus' words. But verse 22 gives the impression that the world largely rejected Jesus' message. And if we went through the whole of John's gospel, that's what we'd find. Yes, some people respond to his message rightly, but most people in John's gospel reject Jesus' words, especially the religious establishment in Jerusalem that controlled religious worship throughout Israel. At the start of verse 22, Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. What does he mean by that? He can't be saying that the world would have been free from any guilt at all. There are plenty of Bible verses, including Jesus' own sayings elsewhere, that put a stop to that interpretation. What he's saying is that his preaching exposed guilt that wasn't yet obvious. It drew out guilt that hadn't yet come to the surface. The religious leaders in Jerusalem at that time weren't worshipping other gods. They were worshipping the God of the Bible in line with his commands. It was only when Messiah Jesus arrived that the religious leaders revealed what was really going on in their hearts. Not all of them, but most of them. The long-awaited Messiah had finally come. But in the eyes of those religious leaders in Jerusalem, they were better off without him. Once they had rejected Jesus, the Messiah, they were also guilty of rebellion against God, the Father who sent him. Jesus says in verse 23, Whoever hates me hates my father also. It's impossible to be faithful to God the Father while simultaneously rejecting Jesus, his son. Over the past two years, we've become very familiar with mask mandates. We've grown used to seeing people's eyes, but not the rest of their face. And it's difficult to know what someone really looks like when you can only see their eyes. It's only when the mask comes off and you see nose and lips and teeth and cheeks and chin that you really know what someone looks like. In a similar way, Jesus' teaching unmasked the people who listened to him. It unmasked not their faces, but their hearts. It exposed what was really going on inside them. Then in verse 24, Jesus moves on from his words to his works. He says in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Everyone in that time and place knew that when the Messiah came, he would perform miracles. All the way back in Deuteronomy 18, God had told Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers. That's Deuteronomy 18. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the narrator says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses who did all those miraculous signs and wonders. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. If Jesus hadn't performed miraculous signs and wonders, people would have had good cause to reject him. They would have carried on saying, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. But Jesus did perform signs and wonders. In fact, Jesus outperformed Moses and yet it still wasn't enough to win the world over. In John chapter 6 for example, after Jesus has miraculously fed the 5000, John says, when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So far so good. Then Jesus explains to the crowd that he hasn't come to satisfy their this world desires. And they all leave. By the end of chapter 6, it's just Jesus and the 12 disciples again. He says to them, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Jesus' words were generally rejected and his mighty works were also generally rejected. Most of the people who encountered him did not want him to be their king, their lord, their master, even though he offered them eternal life. When the creator lovingly came down into his world in the person of his son, the world said, not interested, not for me. And ultimately the world rose up in fury against the Son of God and killed him. Jesus came into the world to help it, like a healthy organ transplanted into a desperately needy patient. But the world rejected Jesus just as bodies sometimes reject the transplanted organ that would save them. The Bible's word for this kind of uncooperative attitude toward God is the word sin. You can see it there in verse 22 and verse 24. Here's how the theologian Robert Lethem defines sin. Sin is a human attempt to put ourselves in charge to dispute the lordship of our creator. Sin is a human attempt to put ourselves in charge, to dispute the lordship of our creator. These are hard truths to listen to and process. But it's good for us to hear these truths. It helps us understand what's going on in our world. Even now, in Eastern Europe, Russia seems poised to attack Ukraine. Think of the anxiety and terror the Ukrainians must have been experiencing for these past few weeks, and that's before war has even begun. Why does humankind do this to itself? It's because of sin. If humanity can say to God, the creator God, why should we listen to you? We shouldn't be surprised when one nation says to the other nations, why should we listen to you? Hearing what Jesus says about sin helps us understand what is going on in our world. And it also helps us understand what's going on in ourselves. As Christians, through God's grace, we have said yes to God and no to sin. But our nature is still drawn towards sin. Even if you've been a Christian all your life, there will be times when you notice that your natural instincts are anti-God instincts. There will be times when you find yourself drawn towards sin, even though you know it's wrong. And you notice a voice from your own heart saying to God, why should I listen to you? Don't despair when you notice that about yourself. That is the normal Christian life. The world rejected Jesus like a sick body, rejecting a healthy organ transplant. And Christians aren't yet free of that anti-God impulse. We're not yet completely free. Of that impulse. As Christians we need to keep hearing about sin because it's good to understand what is going on inside us. Our own nature is still contaminated by sin and so we should often be suspicious about our instincts instead of trusting them. It's so much better to fight against sin as early as possible by the power of the Holy Spirit than to wait, wait, wait until you're up to your neck in it. Praise God, we will be completely free of our sin-contaminated nature when Jesus returns to transform our bodies to be like his glorious body as it says in Philippians 3, verse 21. Let's now move on to the second half of the sermon. We've been thinking about Jesus and the world. Our second heading is Jesus' servants and the world. Jesus' servants and the world. If you were here last Sunday, you might remember Jesus saying to his followers in last week's passage, no longer do I call you servants, but I've called you friends. His point was that our relationship with him breaks out of the usual master-servant category because of the friendship aspect of our relationship with him. And yet in today's passage, Jesus goes back to calling his followers servants. He says in verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. It's not a contradiction, it's a clarification. Even though the master-servant category isn't a perfect fit because we're Jesus' friends, There is still a sense in which he is our master and we are his servants. Later in the New Testament, Paul, James, Peter, Jude, and John all describe themselves as servants of Christ. Now, that line we've just heard from verse 20 actually sums up the big idea of the whole of today's Bible passage. A servant is not greater than his master. In other words, we can't assume we'll get a more favourable response from the world than Jesus got from the world. We should expect similar treatment. But our situation doesn't repeat Jesus' situation in every way. There are differences, and we'll look first at the differences, then turn to the similarities, and then finally we'll close with some applications for our own lives here in New York City in 2022. The first difference between our situation and Jesus' situation is that he has sent the Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus kept that promise. After he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to on the day of pentecost and from that day onward the holy spirit has been in the words of verse 26 bearing witness about jesus as the good news about jesus death and resurrection is proclaimed the spirit brings home that message to people's hearts and minds so that they know it's true the spirit opens eyes unblocks ears and gives life to the dead The Bible commentator Leon Morris points to the impact of the Spirit on the very day of his arrival, the day of Pentecost. Leon Morris says, On the day of Pentecost alone, more believers were added to the little band of Jesus' followers than throughout his entire earthly life. End quote. Later in the New Testament, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul says, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. What Jesus says about the Spirit in verse 26 points forward to those wonderful outcomes. Most of today's passage, as I said earlier, is in the minor key, the musical key that goes with sadness and lament. But we mustn't miss the note of hope that verse 26 provides. The sending of the Spirit ushers in a new phase of gospel growth that continues until today. And that phase hadn't yet started during Jesus' earthly ministry. It's a difference between his situation and ours. The other difference is that whereas Jesus speaks about his works, as we saw earlier in verse 24, he doesn't say anything about his disciples doing works, miraculous signs. In verse 27, he simply says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus' works were a major feature of his ministry alongside his words. But after his departure, works won't share the stage with words in the same kind of way. We do find some miracles In the book of Acts, after Jesus' departure. But throughout the book of Acts, it's the testimony about Jesus that is front and center. The words. So those are two differences. But most of the passage presses home the similarities. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Similarity. Verse 20. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Similarity. Chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Similarity. Jesus himself was killed by people who thought they were offering service to God. And Jesus isn't exaggerating in this Bible passage. A month ago, the Christian organization Open Doors published a list of the 50 nations where it is most dangerous to follow Jesus. I'll read you quotes from the sections on North Korea, Libya, and Nigeria. Any North Korean caught following Jesus is at immediate risk of imprisonment, brutal torture, and death. When a person in Libya leaves Islam to follow Christ, they face immense pressure from their families to renounce their faith. Their neighbors and the rest of the community ostracize them, and they can be left homeless, jobless, and alone. Persecution in Nigeria is, simply put, brutally violent. In much of northern Nigeria, Christians live their lives under the constant threat of attack. Today's Bible passage is still being fulfilled in our world. But how should we apply this Bible passage to our lives? We don't live in North Korea or Libya or Northern Nigeria. We don't face anything like the same intensity of hatred and persecution that they face, our brothers and sisters in those countries. Well, let's not be too quick to turn over this Bible page. It is relevant for our lives. Here are three life applications for us. First, steal yourself for the likelihood of unpopularity. Steel yourself for the likelihood of unpopularity. In verse 19, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. A New Yorker who is known by their co-workers to be a Christian, a Christian who truly believes the Bible and puts the Bible into practice, that Christian New Yorker will usually find themselves left out of the inner circle. Jesus explains in that verse, verse 19, That the world can tell there's something different about Christians. And the world typically doesn't appreciate that difference. Your co-workers might be very polite to you and friendly to you. But generally speaking, Christians won't get into the inner circle. Steal yourself for the likelihood of that kind of unpopularity. Being left out to a certain extent. It won't hurt so badly if you're prepared for it. This passage is a warning passage. Jesus says in chapter 16 verse 1, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And in the last verse of the passage he similarly says, I've said these things to you that when that hour comes you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus wants us to be ready to steel ourselves so that when unpopularity or worse comes our way, we won't fall away from him. Instead, we'll say to ourselves, Jesus told me about this and now it's happening. He's an honest master. The second application is to remind yourself of the world's real face. Remind yourself of the world's real face. When Jesus came down from heaven bringing salvation instead of condemnation, he was mocked, flogged, crown of thorns was shoved down upon his head. He was stripped. He was nailed to a wooden cross and left there to perish. That's the world's true face. It had to happen. Our salvation depended on it. Because on the cross, Jesus died as a sacrifice, bearing our sin, receiving punishment for our sin. The cross had to happen. God planned for it to happen. But that doesn't change the fact that the world was responsible for the cross and so the cross unmasks the world if we miss out on the world's favour because of our faith in Jesus that's no great loss, the world crucified the son of God our last application this morning is to associate yourself with Jesus. Associate yourself with Jesus so that other people will hear and believe. At the end of verse 20, there is a gloriously encouraging sentence. Jesus says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. When we associate ourselves with jesus when we make it known to co-workers neighbors friends family members that we follow jesus we're inviting them to say tell me more about that and when they hear they may believe and be saved and keep jesus word putting it differently the mask may come down to reveal someone who's eager to receive everything Jesus offers. Our message is a message that unmasks. Often it unmasks hostility and rejection, but our message can also unmask faith and hope and joy. We'll never get to that unmasking stage with non-Christians unless we associate ourselves with Jesus. And who would you rather be associated with than him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' honest words, his honest warnings to us. Help us, we pray, to take them to heart that we might not fall away when we face some of the things described in this passage. Give us strength. Help us to gladly associate ourselves with Jesus. Make it easy for us to do that. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for our brothers and sisters in intensely persecuted lands. We ask that you would be with them, encouraging them, revealing your love to them, providing them with what they need, helping them not to fall away. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.